Welcome to the My Comic Shop History Kickstarter Special. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Today is a big day. It's Wednesday, September 20th, 2017, and is the official launch day for the My Comic Shop Country Kickstarter campaign. So all season long, I've been traveling to stores around the country, and I've been teasing that it's all leading to a new documentary movie. So if you want to see that movie made, please contribute to the Kickstarter campaign. It is live right now. I will be posting the uh, link to it on all of my social media. So my Comic Shop History Facebook page, and then my Instagram and Twitter. The handle for both of those is at Desi Westside. Uh, Or you can just go to Kickstarter and search for My Comic Shop Country. Now, to help me make this announcement today, I have recruited a very special guest, someone who uh, I'm so excited to talk to and to finally meet in person, the manager of Acme Comics in Greensboro, North Carolina, Lord Retail himself, Mr. Jermaine Exum. Hey, you got me. I'm here. I'm amazed that you are sitting in Acme Comics right now. That is not lost on me at all. It's, it's amazing. It's fantastic. No, it is terrific to be here. I mean, you and I have, uh, you know, we've struck up a friendship online and we've corresponded that way. Uh, But it's been terrific over these past days to finally be here in person and to be able to hang out. It's really been a blast. The voice is not coming out of my car speakers or my phone. The voice is coming out of a human being that's sitting across the table. This is amazing. I got to tell you, this trip has been great for my ego um, because (laughs) I've met so many people uh, specifically at your store, you know, your staff and customers who have said like, oh, I recognize your voice. I listen to the show, uh, which is, again, it's incredibly gratifying. It's nice to finally meet some of these people who are listening to the show. And I mean, I, I can't thank you enough. I know you've turned a lot of people onto the show. So thank you. Absolutely. Once I saw what you were doing with that first season, I knew that it was something that I needed to see through myself, listen to all of it, listen to it multiple times. And it was something that customers, other retailers, creators, the information and the points that you were getting across through the ending of alternate realities, that was something people that I'd never heard before anywhere. And it was something other people needed to hear. This is maybe too big of a question, but like, were there any any specific things that really resonated with you or that you were surprised to hear discussed or, or anything that, that really jumped out at you? There were aspects of my experience here at Acme Comics, being a volunteer, eventually being an employee. There were aspects of what I experienced that I thought was completely unique to me that you seem to have as well. And that was that was just shocking to me. There were, there were some similarities. You know, there, there are divergent points, yes. But there were some similarities to what you had experienced the friendship you made, the values that you were connecting to as far as business. You know, maybe it could be done this way or maybe it'd be better a little if we do it that way. That I really thought didn't happen anywhere else. And if it happened for you, maybe maybe it's happening at many other stores and, and we don't know it. Um, Steve was very... He's a, for what I can tell, he's a heart-on-his-sleeve kind of guy. Yes. And he was speaking very frankly. And that was, you know, he, he was saying things that maybe you thought about, but you just don't say, or, or just he was speaking very frankly and clearly because why not at that stage? Maybe he was that way the whole time. He was. I mean, that's the funny thing. He, you know, he really never held back, you know, so it wasn't a matter of, oh, the store's closing, there's no reason to be diplomatic, you know? I mean, he 
that's just the way he is. I thought it was, okay, we're no holds barred at this point. But if you're saying he was that way the whole time, that's even more interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's very much his uh, his personality. But, you know, that, that idea of, you know, these universal, you know, themes and experiences, that's kind of why I ended up doing what I'm doing now with this season of the podcast and hopefully with the movie to come. Because I always thought that, you know, my interest was was solely with my comic shop, with alternate realities. And, you know, over the course of eulogizing the store over the first season, I mean, you know, yes, that store is and will always be, you know, very personal to me. And, and that's always going to be a unique experience. But I realized that, you know, the institution of the local comic shop beyond just my store um, is something that appeals to me a lot. And, you know, what I experienced at my store and what I was hopefully able to capture in the podcast and in the previous documentary, I wanted to try to capture that on a larger scale and kind of put together the bigger picture of, you know, the comic shop community in this country. And that's what led to the podcast and, and you know, hopefully the documentary as well. Um, but so, I mean, it's, it's great that those things were able to resonate with you. I mean, that's, that was the goal. You're doing amazing work. I'm glad that you decided to do this and you were seeing it through and taking it to yet another level and maybe a level beyond that. Who knows? Hopefully you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there's a plan. Well, it's funny. Someone asked recently, you know, why, you know, why a podcast and a documentary? And I enjoy both forms of storytelling very much, and they each offer, you know, unique advantages. So with the podcast, you know, we can sit down and tell a story that takes five or ten minutes to tell. In a documentary, that would be an eternity uh, so there are things that work better in podcast form, better in um, documentary form. And of course, the documentary has the visual component. And, you know, if there's any limitation to the podcast, it's that it's an auditory medium. So as I'm going to these stores, you know, we're describing them and, and we're talking about what we're seeing. But I want to be able to put that on film. I want to be able to take a viewer and really bring them into these stores that I've had the, the privilege of getting to visit and getting to know. Like yours. Like yours. <laughs> Sometimes when you're at a store that uh, I'm not as familiar with, I will go to their website, their Facebook page, kind of look around to, to put myself into that frame that you were in while I'm listening to or have already heard the episode. You know, just to take that next step as the listener to learn a little bit more about where you were. Right. And I've been fortunate enough, my wife has been traveling with me and she's been taking photos and video. So, you know, we've had that, which is, you know, terrific. And, you know, I've been posting those on the Facebook page so people can can kind of get a sense. But yeah, I mean, the plan is to really take this to the next level with this My Comic Shop Country uh, documentary film. Now, so this special episode, uh, My Comic Shop History is actually off this week. As listeners know, it, it is released on a biweekly schedule. So it's actually, this is an off week for the show, but I wanted there to be a new episode, hence this Kickstarter special. Uh, and I appreciate you, you know, coming in to help me out uh, and, and set up uh, what's to come. Now, you and I uh, are going to be doing a lot of recording, <laughs> and you are going to be featured on next week's regular episode of My Comic Shop History and the following week's episode of Flat Squirrel Tales, the other podcast that I host. So it's going to be a two-week, two-episode crossover, both episodes featuring Lord Retail. So what we're doing right now, this is really just a tease, uh, a little preview of what's to come. So for people who want to hear our full conversation, want to hear all about Acme's history and your comic shop history, that's to come over the next two weeks, uh, which I'm really excited to record with you. I'm excited about it as well. Um, hopefully we'll get to talk again after these two episodes and uh, we can uh, revisit whatever you want to revisit or whatever your listeners would want to get into. 
That would be terrific. So the so here's what's to come on this episode on the Kickstarter special. Uh, this episode is going to f- it's going to be a compilation of uh, two episodes that I recorded recently. Um, up first is Cave Comics in Newtown, Connecticut. Uh, fun fact: that was actually the first recording that I did this season. And you know, in designing the season, there was a certain flow that I was I was looking to achieve, and I wasn't exactly sure where this episode was going to fit in. And I think this special is is a perfect place for it, and will be a nice contrast to uh, the the second piece of the compilation, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, are you familiar with Cave Comics at all? Is that a story you ever came across? I feel like I've heard that name. You know, it's it's a uh, it's a cool name for a shop, and I feel like I've heard that. Yes, cool. Uh, yeah, it was a very cool store. The owner describes it as a traditional old school comic shop, and I, I think it, it does have that feel. Um, the owner has been doing this for a long time, and it was really interesting. So this was the first one that I recorded. Uh, so I was coming into this really still still thinking about you know Steve Odo and alternate realities and how he got burnt out doing this for so long. And going in to speak with another veteran retailer, I was kind of expecting to hear similar things, and I was, I guess, pleasantly surprised that um, he still seems to be enjoying it. He doesn't seem burnt out on, burnt out on it. He's planning to retire uh, in a few years, uh, I think at the store's 30th anniversary. So, I mean, it's just like he's just a very uh, pleasant, genial, soft-spoken person who seems to have had a positive experience doing this. That's wonderful to hear. You know, retail is retail. I will say that from time to time. No matter what subject you're working with, it could be something that you know super well like comics, but retail is retail, and there's still certain things that can burn you out. But uh, there's also so many tremendous rewards that can stave off the burnout or deflect it completely. Well said. So I guess on that note, we will get into this. Uh, so the the gentleman I interviewed, his name is Pat Callanan. He's the owner of Cave Comics. Um, I reached out to him. I told him that the episode would be uh, coming out today. He's actually overseas. He's traveling to Ireland, uh, where he, he goes from time to time. That's actually where he's planning to retire uh, when he's done with his uh, comics retailing. Uh, so here is Cave Comics. Enjoy. This episode, my journey to comic shops across America, takes me to Cave Comics in Newtown, Connecticut, where I am joined by the owner of Cave Comics, Pat Callanan. Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It should be fun. Yeah, I'm really honored to have you here. I know when we were uh, corresponding via email to set this up, I know you said you're not a huge podcast guy. This is the first one I've done and maybe the first one I ever listened to. Right. Well, I would. I hope you listen to it. I hope. I uh, hope your customers listen to yeah. it as well. Hopefully, it'll be some interesting insight for people who already know Cave Comics, but mm-hmm. also, you know, hopefully, a great introduction um, to people who've have never experienced your store. Excellent. Uh, so that's our plan. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot that I want to get into about your store specifically and its place within the larger comics retail industry. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I like to think that this project and the other projects I've done, they're really about the people. So uh, the show's called My Comic Shop History. It's somewhat of a tradition when I have uh, a new guest on to ask them what their comic shop history is. Now, I have a little bit of a sense of yours from the research that I did ahead of time and mm-hmm. some interviews that you've given. And there are some parallels that, that you and I share, but we can get to that. Um, so I want to let you tell it. My first question is, you know, what is your comic shop history? How did you get into this hobby? I got into it by my father. He taught me to read on comics, starting first with the newspaper strips. He'd sit, I sit on his lap, and he'd read them to me. I'm, you know, three or four years old at this point. And eventually, I had to read them to him. And by the time I was five, I could read. 
You remember, this is also in the late 50s where comics were not real popular and we're having the book burnings and, and the comics code authorities come into being. So it was fairly progressive on my father's part to do that. And then, you know, I'd go get my hair cut and the barber would give me the comics with no covers and off I went. Yeah. Do you remember what that first comic was, that first issue? It was Batman, correct? I've always been a Batman fan, yes. Okay. And I've always had, but see, those I don't think I bought. I think I got them from the uh, the barbershop guys, and that's what got me oh, okay. Batman. And then I'd go out and, at that point, I lived in a little town called Wilkett, uh, just outside of Waterbury. And when I was six, seven, eight years old, my friend Mark and I, we'd get on our bicycles, and we'd ride around picking up cans and bottles, because he had, see, the three cents on a bottle and a nickel on a quart bottle. And we'd bring and turn them in, go buy comics. Did either uh, Vaughn's Drugstore or the Family Superette. We'd go to little newsstands there and pick them up. Right, because we had to go to both places because you know one place might have ones, the other one didn't. Right. So that's something that's um, interesting to me. I don't know that I'll quite have the opportunity to get into that um, over over these episodes. But um, you know, we're talking about comic shops, but obviously there was a period where there were no comic shops. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure it must have been interesting to get into it in that way. First one I found of the comic shop was up in Willimantic, a place called the Zising Brothers Book Emporium. It was a three story, you know, like brick townhouse. In downtown Willimantic. First floor was uh, like used books and new books. Second floor was like a performance space for artist readings and poetry. The third floor was comics, old comics. No, nothing new, just old ones. And that was 72. And the following year, I started going to New York to the New York Comic Cons that uh, Phil Sewing put on at the old Commodore Hotel. So very cool. Uh, well, like I said, there's some parallels. So uh, I got into comics. My father read me my first comic book when mm -hmm. I was five. And mm -hmm. for me, it wasn't Batman. It was Superman. Uh, the death of Superman in particular. Oh, really? So that was my introduction to this <laughs> world. And, you know, in the previous season of this show, we talked a lot about collecting and how those first impressions really shape you as a fan and as a collector. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not surprisingly, death of Superman was the first thing I read. I'm a huge Superman fan. All right. Um, all right. I take it from, and I, I really want to get into this, I take it from the Batman original art that's all around the store and your license plate, mm -hmm. which is Batman, uh, that, that that shaped you as well as a collector, that formative yeah. uh, experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it's the one I always searched for, you know, in all the alliterations. Yeah, you know, between World's Finest and Brave and Bold and Detective and Batman and Justice League. Yeah, if Batman was in it, I had to read it. Uh, so you had that early introduction to comics. Batman was an early favorite character, mm -hmm. and it sounds like it's continued to be the case. Yeah. Um, did you continue as a collector throughout the rest of your childhood oh, God, and yeah. teen years? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Back when I was in my 20s, I'd buy comics before food. Wow, okay. <laughs> I, could, I could live on peanut butter. <laughs> you know, you buy that, you know, three, four dollar sure, bread yeah. and a big thing of cheap peanut butter, you live on that. Yeah, yeah you had, had your to, priorities in yeah, order, I hear you. I had to buy my comics first. Yeah, it was great. Actually, when the... When I opened the store in 89, I brought in 40,000 of my own comics. Wow. That is that's a tremendous number. And that's for keeping the six titles I kept. Batman Detective, Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Avengers, and X-Men. Okay. Well, those are some core titles. I mm -hmm. understand why you would keep those. It's my retirement income. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, but 40,000, I mean, that's a substantial number. A mix of DC and Marvel? DC, Marvel... You know, some dark horse at that point, so they had started, and uh, and some companies that were no longer around. You know, I had some quality books that were long gone, and Charlton's that were long gone, and 
well, just a lot of books. Right. So you mentioned the the store opened in 89. Uh, Before we get to that point, though, I understand you had not one but two prior careers before you embarked on this journey, correct? Well, I wouldn't call the first one really a career. I got out of college and didn't like to do what I went to college for. What did you go to college for? Uh, Computer science. Okay. Way back when, when we were still using punch cards. But then after I discovered I really wasn't suited for office work, I went back to building houses. Okay. Which is something I really enjoy doing. And if I hadn't blown my knees out, I'd probably still be doing it. So the first job was at a at a bank, yeah. right, correct? Yeah, just for a little bit. Yeah, I came across an interview that you did, I think, in, in some local press. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I don't think I lasted two weeks. <laughs> I know. I, it, that struck me when I read it because I think you mentioned the, um, you know, not being a fan of some of the office politics and just mm-hmm. that sort yeah. of culture and environment. I said it must have been really bad for, you know, to... Well, it's not so much that. It's just I'm not suited for working for somebody. Sure. You know? Different when I was building houses. It, I, you had at the end of the day, you had a tangible thing you had done. You know, I right. could drive by a house four years later, said, oh, "I built that." You know, it's different. Yeah. No. I, listen, I give you a lot of credit. I mean, to be able to recognize that something isn't for you, and then take the action to change that, I think is very is commendable. Uh, so you had that that brief uh, stint at the bank, and then you went back to building houses. Mm-hmm. And how long did you do that for? Thirteen years. And then came the comic yeah, shop? came the shop. Actually, way back when, I actually had a store before this one. Oh. Back in 74 into 75, I had a used bookstore because I wanted to sell comics and there was only newsstand comics. I had a, a comic newsstand bit, magazine thing, and a used bookstore, but I was way too young and then didn't really know what I was doing. And One year, it was, it was enough. Right. Okay, so that's interesting that you had that prior experience. Um, And then so if you don't mind just taking me through that decision-making process to get to the point where you said, I'm going to open Cave Comics, and what was the reaction of people around you? (laughs) You'd be surprised how quickly it came apart or came about. I'd I'd finished. I was done building. I knew I was done. And and I came home. I said, well, what do you want to do? really like sell comics and I had a store three months later wow that's a very fast turnaround (laughs) you know the place where I got my videos next door there used to be a in the building next to here there was a uh, what was it a real estate agency and they closed up so I got coming to get by get a video one day the place next door is open I found Capital City had a warehouse in Wallingford I can pick up comics Three months later, I'm up and running. I built all my f- original fixtures. It was great. I, mean, I brought all my comics and off we went. That's incredible. And I mean, that's great that your wife was, was so supportive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was very good. Very, very good. I imagine it would have been very difficult or impossible otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had a very good job. So we weren't, it wasn't a real financial blow for me not to make money for a few months. So, you know, I guess... Going through the formation of the store, uh, I, I suppose I have a number of questions, but maybe just to start, the, the name, where does uh, Cave Comics come from? Well, it, it started out as Bat Cave Comics. Okay. Because I sure, was a Batman yeah, fan. Natural. I Bat Cave Comics. And I was open maybe four or five months when I got a call from DC <laughs> saying, oh, you can't use that name. We own it. I've since found out they cannot brand a bat cave it's a naturally occurring thing 
But they had a lot more lawyers than I could have had. Sure, yeah, it's a legal juggernaut. Yeah, and I ended up getting a huge amount of free press out of it. You know, oh, that's big, interesting. Big company taking on the small little retailer. I had the local television stations down, the newspapers did stories about it. I couldn't have bought that kind of advertising when I first opened up. Oh, that's amazing. That actually worked out pretty well for you yeah, then. Yeah, it did It did very well. Yeah. Okay, I took three letters off. Fine. Did you consider renaming it entirely, or did you always know you wanted to at least keep no, the cave part of it? I wanted to keep the cave part of it. I can still call it the back cave if I want to, in my head. <laughs> And now, uh, I understand you you are the sole owner. Yeah. Uh, have you always been the sole owner? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Always mine. Yeah. Have you ever considered? Because, you know, this was something we got into talking about alternate realities. You'll probably hear me bring up alternate realities mm-hmm. a lot. It's the store where I spent the most of my time, and it's my frame of reference for right, all right. of this. But at that store, too, again, I mentioned uh, the gentleman, Steve. Uh, he founded it with two other people. Mm-hmm. There were numerous permutations of ownership over mm-hmm. all of those years. Uh, he was more or less the one constant. And then for the last chunk of the store's history he was the sole owner and uh i think he vastly preferred that over working with partners mm-hmm. have did you ever consider bringing in anyone else no. or you always knew you wanted never. to do it yourself no never i've never wanted anybody else to try to tell me what to do you know if the store succeeds or fails it's all on my decisions right i mean i can't lay the blame anywhere else if i screw up an order i know who did it <laughs> No, there's no blame game in this way of doing it. That's true. I know you recently moved. Mm-hmm. Um, so previously you were sharing a space with a restaurant called Burgeritoville. Yeah, well, I first opened up, it was a video store right? called The Magic Machine. And it's an, it was an old train station. It was a funky, cool old building, 14-foot ceilings. It's 125 or 30 years old. Yeah, that is neat. It was a very cool space. A real pain to heat. Oh, sure, yeah, oh, I can man. imagine. As much as I love that building, it was expensive. But then we had a magic machine went out, and we had a couple of delis, and then these people moved in about 10 years ago. Well, they bought the building, actually. And uh, it, they've been great. They've been really good to me. I mean, they could easily have told me to go away once my lease ran out. Instead, they built me this building here. Oh, they so, actually built it for you? Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. They can, they're going to expand their part, and they're going to keep me over here. That's uh, right. So you relocated in November of 2016? 2016. Yeah, 16. Into this spot where, where you are now that was built from the ground up. Mm-hmm. How much say did you have in, in the design of it? Or were they just like, this is what we're putting up for you? Well, we had very little say in it, mostly because of the town. We are literally on the wrong side of the tracks. Because <laughs> this, you know, the railroad's right there. Yep. On the other side of the tracks, I'm not in a historical district. On this side of the tracks, I'm in a historical district. So this building had looked like the old train shed that was here that's why the door is on the side of the building why you can only have three windows in the front so most of that was dictated to us by the town oh, okay i see well i mean are you are you happy with the layout i mean I, oh, yeah. it's 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 really cool that it's a standalone store mm-hmm. and i think the you know the design is unique and yeah you it's know, nice it fl- gives I a character it, yeah it flows nicely you know i can still have enough room to put some of the artwork up you know the old store had much more artwork up but with 14-foot ceilings, you can do that. But I, I'm happy this place is much easier to heat. Much, much easier to eat. Yeah. No, so this was actually my first time uh, in your store. And, I mean, congratulations on it. It's a beautiful store. I had Thank a great you. time. I spent some time looking around, taking everything in. Uh, it was referred to me. You know, I kind of put the call out that I'm looking for stores to visit. And a friend of mine who's been on the show before, uh, he recommended it. And then... Um, 
another person who listens to the show is actually a customer of yours, Alex. Alex, yep. Uh, and he was able to put me in touch with you. So this is my first time here, but I mean, it's um, it, it's a beautiful store. Thank you. I uh, like it. Very I well like it. stocked and organized. Everything's very neat. I'll try. I'm forever putting things back where they used to be. It's I, I you know, again, I, I spend a lot of time in a store where it, it, we. We lost that battle mm-hmm. um, in terms of keeping everything in, in order. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like you guys are doing a great job. I suppose two things that really struck me when I came in um, would be the the back issues and the and the trade paperbacks. Right. Just the they're very substantial selections that you offer. Mm-hmm. I assume that's by design. It's yes. important to you to keep yeah, those I'm, things I'm, in stock. I'm like an old school store. I would like to have even more back issues if I could, but they. Economically, they don't make a lot of sense. They don't turn fast enough. I mean, your profit margin is really good on them, but they don't turn fast enough and take up a lot more space for the amount of money they create. But I like them, so I win. And the trades, the trades are sort of like where where comics are going, I think. Mm -hmm. It's more like a comic book store as comic one word and bookstore one word. And I think that's really the direction we're really going in it. Yeah, again, I like I like having I like having a lot of books to read. Yeah, so I think on your website it says uh, twenty thousand back issues and about three thousand graphic novels. And it's probably more than that now for the graphic novels. I haven't updated that in a while. Yeah, it's and I I mean again I know from experience I know it's it's work to keep all of those mm-hmm. in stock. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean our like our goal we always used to try to have two two copies of everything on the shelf and eventually there was just so much that that really wasn't mm-hmm. feasible anymore so we tried to at least have one of yeah. each you also have to keep track of what's your evergreen books right what are the ones that are going to turn all the time and some you know i can look things up on our pos system and i haven't sold one in a year i'm probably not going to restock it right but you got the batman books that sell constantly watchman sells constantly spider-man books sell constantly you know saga sells constantly right. walking dead so those you want to stock fairly deeply in your back in your uh, back stock trade stuff right so you mentioned the point of sale system you mm-hmm. use diamonds system yeah use comic suite okay I've been using computers since I opened in one permutation or the other I started with, I started off with Mr. Assistant was the first one for doing <laughs> comic book orders then I went to Comtrack and then comic book poll file was the last one before I went to a comic suite and those weren't POS systems. Those were just more ordering systems and inventory systems. But they made life a lot easier to do your, your uh, cycle counts, which are, you know, incredibly important for new comics. Yeah, no. Uh, so we we never had the, the diamond system in mm-hmm. our store. And the cycle sheet was, you know, every week we would count every book on the shelf. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was incredibly tedious and time-consuming. And mm-hmm. I've spoken to other shop owners uh, in my area who, who use the point-of-sale system, and it just seems like it oh. makes the world of difference. It's got to save me 8 or 10 hours a week easily. I can just do a report and pop up what I sold in trades the last two weeks. It's, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that you have been here as long as you have. I mean, for any, any small business to survive since 1989, mm-hmm. I think is, is remarkable, and, and especially a comic book shop. Uh, you know, that's something that I do want to get into are some of the challenges that you face and that comic book retailers face generally. <laughs> the sense I get from the short amount of time that I spent with you, it seems like you still enjoy this. Is that fair to say? I do. I do. I, I really like interacting with the customers. I mean, the, the, there are some bits that are, are a grind. Doing orders are a grind. You know, doing your monthly diamond orders. And that, that whole predicting thing you have to do. 
you know, when the new a new big crossover is starting, are people really going to want this? Because you know, once once you buy it for a diamond, it's yours. Right, you know, it's not going back. So if you right, except in up, limited circumstances where they make something few, returnable, you know, right. they make things returnable, which is not often. Though DC did that with Rebirth. That's right. You know, the first four four issues of all the titles were returnable, so you could you know go heavier than you planned on, and then take a chance. And not get burned. They still, you have to keep track of when, it's, when you have to return it. You got to, you know, strip the cover, set them all back. But it made it really worthwhile. But it's it's not an easy business to do, particularly when your new comics are really the thing that keeps you alive. And to really make any money on them, your cycle counts, your sell-through counts, have to be in the mid-80s, 80%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a couple of bad months, you're you're scratching. And then, you know, then there's all the trouble of people suddenly deciding they don't like this guy anymore. They don't like that writer. They're like Spider-Man. I went from selling 75 copies of Spider-Man three or four years ago to 28 now. Wow. Yeah, that's quite the drop. You know, it's people just, it kind of goes out of style or goes out of influence or something. And it, it's hard to predict that. So it makes it makes ordering a challenge. I mean, I have to say, um, you know, as part of my my preparation for today, I was reading up on some of the reviews that people have left you on Yelp and your mm. Facebook page, and I mean, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, which you know, kudos to you. You know, one thing that came up a few times was you know people talked about how this really has that old school comic store yeah. vibe, and I'm just curious. I mean, is, you know, is that something that's conscious on your part? And then what are the choices that you make that that contribute to that? I don't think it's conscious on my part. I think it's just what I've always done. It's the kind of store I first went to and the kind of store I liked. So I'm just try, really trying to do what I like. And it's fun. We have a good time. You don't see them here, but I usually bring my dogs to work with me. I wanted to ask you about your dogs. Are you your vice presidents? Of my vice Thomas? presidents in charge of public relations, Kirby and Electra. I have to say, my, my wife is here. She's a little disappointed because she's a huge dog lover. I think <laughs> she was hoping that she'd get to meet the dogs. No, no, they're home. They're, they're executives. They get the weekends off. Ah, well, that's fair. Uh, but so you do bring the dogs to the yeah, store every day. regularly? Yeah, every day. These are my fourth and fifth Bassets that I've had here. I had wow. Sherlock Bones, <laughs> and then Hoover and Flash. And my two dogs I have now are actually Flash's great, great, great niece and nephew. Ah, oh, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, they're, they're, they're fun. Yeah. What what are uh, customers' reactions? Oh, they love them. I think sometimes people come and see the dogs more than anything else. <laughs> I mean, once in a while you get the kid that's afraid of the dogs. Right. But, you know, bassets aren't exactly the most scary dog in the world. And most of the time they're more afraid of the kids than they run away. And I mean, so, you know, as far as these challenges that you face as a retailer, I mean, you know, so we talked a little bit about the, the customer side of it. I have a few other customer things I mm-hmm. want to ask you about. But, uh, you know, then from the publisher side, I know, you know, the retailer's relationship with the publishers, you know, sometimes better than others, I suppose. Uh, I know one thing people, whether it's uh, retailers or customers sort of have issues with, you know, too many events mm-hmm. or, you know, the shipping schedule. I mean, a lot of these DC books are coming out twice a month. I mean, that's it's a lot to keep up with as a reader. I mean, do you find that that's an issue at all? Not as much, but there is a lot of event fatigue. I mean, I'd rather them just put out good stories. You know, we don't need a giant event every six months. And people are really tired of them. Especially, you have an event that doesn't really do anything. 
do you hear that specifically from the customers where they say, oh, we're sick of events, or is it more just yes. in their buying habits? No, they, vo- no, they, they vocalize they, they, it. They told us. <laughs> yeah, they're really tired of the events, and they're really tired of companies going back to number one over and over again. Is there anything else, though, from the, I guess, as a retailer that you wish publishers did better or differently or communicated in a better way? Yeah, I think communication is pretty good. They put yeah. out... Image puts out uh, PDFs of the books before they hit the FOCs, which is really nice if you have time to read them all. Uh, let's see, Marvel. Marvel is difficult. Of all the companies, they're probably the most difficult to deal with. DC's been good, though they were better before Warner Brothers took control. Because you know, we used to get a call every week from DC to do you know reorders on trades and tell us what books are coming out and about so before they move the offices out to the west coast they're they're really good dark horse is excellent they give you plenty of information ani is really good boom is spectacular oh interesting but they and they put out really good books really really good books and books that are not just superhero books and books that just aren't for adult males they put out some really good books probably my favorite company right now that's you know uh going back to to alex and his impressions of the store that was actually something else that he uh recommended i I bring up the fact that you know as as much as you obviously carry all the you know dc and marvel the traditional superhero stuff Mm. um that you really are a supporter of of the indies as well and all these other companies yeah not everybody's gonna like what i like and you know you have to cater to as large a crowd as you can and you tree, you got to try to do that. And I, I've always had a very large female population of customers. Oh yeah. And you know, he, so you sit and you talk to them, ask them what they like, and that's how you find this stuff out. I've found a couple of really good books that way. Yeah. No, that's excellent. I mean, I think that is the way to do it. Um, that was always something I think that that Steve struggled with was. Um, getting away from just ordering according to to his taste yeah you know we ended up with 100 copies or 150 copies of marvel apes number one a while back and very (laughs) few of them sold and it was a Mm. book that uh steve was really excited Mm. about he thought it was a great idea and it was something that he liked as a reader but uh you know others didn't so i think you know sort of trying to put your taste you know second to what you think Mm -hmm. you know uh your your larger clientele would like is is probably important that's what i do when i do my monthly orders I'll do them, and then let them sit for two days. I go back and look at them again and say, okay, which ones are you way too excited about? Which ones aren't you paying attention to? Right. And I got to let it simmer for a couple of days. I know that um, incentives are can be a little bit tricky as well, these retailer incentives. I do you, do you don't play pay that attention game? to them. No? no? If there's math involved, I don't need it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and just to give... Um, listeners uh sort of a, a picture of the store if you want to see actual photos of the store uh go to the, the facebook page for my comic shop history i'll be posting photos of all the stores that i visit but just to kind of describe it for people what sort of dimensions are we are we working with here this is 22 by 44 okay 800 or uh, 960 a month square feet it's not big it's big enough for me 
It's yeah. I mean, and it's uh, I I think everything's you know organized. You've got a lot in here, but it's still organized well. I mean, you yeah, come it in flows you have, nicely. Yeah, I mean, you have the back issue bins to the left. You have your your graphic novel wall to the right. Um, you have your new comic rack mm-hmm. right know, in front. Right in front. Uh, your gaming section here in the back. Um, I see you have a statue showcase with a few pieces yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, are statues something that you pers- pursue? Yeah, regularly? we actually do fairly well with them, but we just sold a bunch over Christmas, and nothing's come out that I thought was worth buying. Okay. You know? And some are just some are just simply too expensive. You know, three hundred dollars is way too much. It's gotta be under two hundred bucks for me to look at it. You know, if I'm don't think it's worth the money, I don't think anybody else is going to. Right. And then, you know, uh, up along the wall towards the ceiling we have what we touched on earlier, your Batman original art. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would love to know a little bit more about they're they're beautiful, striking pieces and I think they, you know, definitely add even though they're mostly black and white, they you know they had uh, color to the store. So, again, we know you're a big Batman fan. Right. When did this original art collection start? start? Started in 1974. Actually, the first piece I bought is down there near the register. It's a Neil Adams drawing of Batman and Dead Man. At the time, it was at the uh, Phil Sulin Comic Con in New York City. Neil was doing a fundraiser for a guy named Dan O'Neill. He did a book called Air Pirates. It's an underground comic. Okay where the Disney characters did rude things. And the mouse got mad and was suing him. So Neil was doing a fundraiser. Drawings for $10. Wow. Well, 1973, $10 is a lot of money. Okay. I made a dollar thirty-five an hour. <laughs> We're talking Fair all, enough. <laughs> you're talking all day's pay for that thing. And uh, that was the first piece I bought. And after that, I think I didn't buy anything else again until the early 80s. And it just took off from there. And I've got 250. That's a substantial amount. And so how many are actually in the store now? There's 30 in here now. Okay. In the old store, I had 135. So I had to bring home a little over 100. And now I've got this, this giant pile of framed artwork leaning against the wall of one of the rooms in my house. I'm trying to say, where the heck am I going to put all this stuff? Yeah, so it's ever ever the dilemma for the collector. Um, so how do you go about getting most of these pieces? Is it con- are they so they mostly are they are commissions? Correct? Some are commissions, some are pages. Okay, I had been buying art for so long the uh, dealers would call me when they got something in. Ah, all right. So you're, yeah, you're that much of a regular. And you know, some are convention sketches. Now, some came off of eBay at one point or another, but I've kind of gotten away from that. Actually, I haven't bought anything in years. Got probably 10 years now because I just simply got priced out of the market. You know. Have you sold any of your pieces or would you a consider? Couple. Actually, Alex bought one. Oh. <laughs> I had uh, I had three pages from Jim Lee's Hush series. Oh, cool. And Alex bought one of the Jim Lee pages. And any favorite? I mean, I know that might be difficult to pinpoint one, but do you have one piece that? I have one favorite, again, down there at the register. It's a splash page from uh, Batman by Irv Novick. Now, Irv Novick was the guy who was drawing Batman when I was a kid. He's the guy I grew up with, and he's my Batman guy. Right. And it's a very heroic drawing. It's Batman swinging out of a burning building carrying a kid. And maybe 10 years ago, Irv Novick was down at a convention down in White Plains. All these Golden Age artists. It was amazing to see all these Golden Age artists. And there was Irv Novick, so I got to go down there and have him sign this page for me. It was pretty wild. My other favorite ones is I've got a, a really nice George Perez and I have a really nice Bernie Wrightson. It's a it's a terrible addiction. Don't start collecting art. 
you know, circling back to, you know, the, the customers and, and just sort of like what the atmosphere is like in here. It's well, funny. You know, no, no, go ahead. What I think the store is like, it's like the old TV show Cheers. I mean, there's people I know that they were kids and now live somewhere else and they come back here and they'll stop here before they go see their parents. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of cool. And to see, you know, like I said, kids bringing their kids in. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the atmosphere that, that I experienced at my comic shop and that always, you know, meant a lot to me. Um, do you find, do people social, like, or do you socialize with any of the customers outside of the store? No? No, I think that's a not a good line to cross. Oh, interesting. What makes you feel that way? Then it may not be a business to them anymore. Yeah, you know, that's that's a good point. That's I don't really, except for going out to dinner after we have big sales or something i don't generally much socialize my employees okay you know because it's i still have to be the boss i can't be the buddy right it's interesting it's definitely it's definitely a different approach so um (laughs) one store's still there and one store's closed so i don't know (laughs) one's better than the other um but you know at alternate realities you know a group of us would always um we had a Saturday tradition where we mm-hmm. go out to dinner and it was always a mix of uh, whether when it was Steve as the sole owner or when he had other owners, but the owners and employees and customers as well became part of this group. And mm-hmm. um, now that the store's closed, I mean, we still continue to socialize. So it, it's, it's been nice in that sense, but um, yeah, it's really interesting to get your take on it. Well, it may have been different if you're more of a, an urban setting here. Now we all, I mean, I live 45 minutes away from here. I guess for each store it's different, but mm-hmm. it seems like it's worked for yeah, it's you. Worked for me for twenty, almost twenty-eight years. So, must be doing something right. I always tell people I don't want to get a real job. Jeez, <laughs> I can tell you another funny thing. Sure. Back when my father was a kid, he grew up in Waterbury, Connecticut, and Waterbury, Connecticut is where Eastern Color was, where comics were invented. And he remembers going down to the loading docks, and they would give him comic books off. The docks that were no covers on them. This is like, you know, the 30s. That's kind of wild that comic books are invented right here in Water in Connecticut. Yeah, I, I did not know that. No? No. Eastern Color, they were a, a printing company that did these Sunday color comic inserts for newspapers. And they came up, a guy named Max Gaines, who went on to work for DC and start EC Comics, came up with the idea if you took a Sunday page and folded it six times, you had a pamphlet. And if you take that pamphlet and reprint the comics from the Sunday comics in it, they use them as premiums. At the, If you bought a pair of shoes, you got this comic. If you bought filled with gas tank, you got this comic. And they were giving away hundreds of thousands of these things. And they said, hmm, maybe we could sell these. And the first comics were called Famous Funnies. Oh, okay. Came out of Waterbury, Connecticut. Oh, good to know. I'm learning a lot here today. I'll be honest. I, you know, when I saw that the store had has been here, even though you moved locations, but that the store has been in existence for as long as it has, and that you've been the one behind the counter. Yeah, I guess I expected you to be a little bit more uh, jaded about about the business Grumpy? or the experience. I suppose you wanted me to be a comic book guy from The Simpsons. I didn't want you to, but <laughs> I suppose maybe that was somewhat of my expectation, just based on you know my my own experiences. I guess so. I mean, it's it's really uh, refreshing that you still have this enthusiasm for it. Yeah, but I think the biggest reason why I haven't gotten jaded is I haven't had a hard time at it. You know, I haven't had the real serious downturns or the, you know, the financial problems or, you know, staying up 
all night scratching your head trying to figure out how you're going to pay your rent. We've been fairly successful all along. And then I still really do like the comics. But I mean, as far as, you know, avoiding those downturns and even like you said, with the delinquent customers, like that's not as huge of an issue for you as, as maybe it is for Packrat Comics right, or right. as it was for us. I mean, is there anything specific that you can attribute that to? Like how you've been able to avoid those downturns or, or those, those issues? I think just keeping on track on top of your orders and keeping on top of your customers, you know, they're sticking to stuff. You gotta, you gotta cut the cord as fast as you can. And really it's, it's staying on top of your cycle counts and on top of your final order cutoffs, you know, and not overstocking and not being under, I think the thing that throws more businesses out of business quickest is being undercapitalized. If you don't have enough money to get you through that bad time, you've got a lot of books coming in for the holidays, you know, or free comic book day. Cause you know, we've already paid for all that stuff. You have to have the cash flow to do it and you have to have the backup money to do it. You know, just in case you have to be, can't be undercapitalized. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's sort of, and you know, I mentioned like cutting the cord and things like that. When you, if you do over order on something, mm -hmm. you know, I guess maybe most specifically with, you know, a new issue of something, right. like if you had 150 Marvel apes, yeah. you know, what, what do you do with those excess copies? Usually I'll uh, either dollar them out, just move them out, or... Sometimes if I got a lot of them, I'll give them to a library and stamp them, my name on them. Good. Yeah. No, that makes sense. As a, as a fan yourself, do you ever run into the situation where the fan slash collector in you and the businessman in you are at odds where you'll want to hang mm -hmm. on to something that, that you probably well, should sell? Or? No, no. I, I'm, I can sell stuff easy. Somebody brings in something I want. That's something else. Then I might pay too much for something. Gotcha. Okay. But I, if there's something in the store somebody wants, oh, yeah, I'll sell it. Oh, yeah, you bring in a Batman comic I don't have? Ooh. Okay. Now, fair enough. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I know, you know, again, like there can be tension between, you know, especially when this is what you, what you enjoy, mm -hmm. but it's also your business. So, you, you know, you don't want to run that risk of becoming a curator and right. not a seller. Right. I'm not here to accumulate stuff. I'm here to sell it. You know, I can't, the idea of having long boxes sitting in a storage unit that I'm paying for, oh, God, that would kill me. <laughs> oh, I, one day I'd really love to introduce you to Steve Odo, honestly. I am laughing very hard here because it's just different, different approaches. I don't believe in keeping stuff and thinking that it's going to be worth more later. It may not be. <laughs> I, I want to get rid of it. I want to make my money now, turn that money into something else. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that we're having a lot of new listeners who are listening to this episode. But for anyone who's listening to this, who's been with us from the beginning, I know you're laughing along with me here. Um, it's it's always that's why one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is, you know, to just get different approaches to mm. to the business um, from from different people people who you know with this season it's really going to be a mix of stores so you know you're someone who's been doing this for a long time and I mean like I said you know you've built something really incredible it's really been a pleasure you know speaking to you and getting to see your store uh, you know is there is there anything else that you would like to say or share or you know for people maybe who, who don't know cave comics anything else that you you want to convey I think I have a really good store and I think it's a really friendly store I think it will help you as much as you can to find something that catch your interest for the rest of your life and my, and my dogs are cool yeah i mean thank you so much for doing this i mean oh. it's really been a pleasure talking i hope you had fun your first podcast experience. yeah I'm, I'm not a podcast version anymore <laughs>
Um, but, you know, once again, thank you so much for, for being a part of this. Well, thanks for coming. I enjoyed it. All right. So that was Cave Comics. So next up is Escape Pod Comics on Long Island. And my guest for that episode is actually someone you know, Jermaine, and that is Menachem Lukens. We've never met before, but uh, we encountered on Twitter first, I believe. And some of the things that he would tweet about, I would say, that's interesting. Why did he say that? What is he talking about? But then uh, as more time passed, and I think I met him again on Facebook, realized it was the Escape Pod Comics guy. And um, he's actually somebody I talk to from time to time. You know, he's one of those retailers I would like to talk to more. But, you know, every now and then uh, we will say, hey, do you have copies of this? Well, I don't have that. Do you have that? Okay, let's swap out some stuff. You know, he really came through for us here when we sold all the copies of the uh, Stephen King and Bernie Wrights and Creepshow reprint. We sold a ton of copies of those to the point where people were really wanting to get copies. And when the distributor Diamond was completely out. It was over. It was from a tiny publisher, and I think they printed what was asked for and you know folded back into the ether. But uh, he was able to come through for us, and some very specific customers were able to get copies because of that. That's very cool. Now I know you know you mentioned his uh, some of his uh, postings online. He he is very outspoken. For yourself, I mean, do you look at what he does, and is there any bit of envy? I mean, in terms of what you post, do you feel like you're, you are censoring yourself, or do you feel you're expressing yourself as freely as, as someone like him? I know that I uh, censor myself. I am Sometimes I will consider making a tweet, and I'll stare at it and look at it, and, you know, do I want to post that? Would someone read it in this way, or would someone think I was really saying that? I really, really uh, am censored. I, I think I, I don't frequently say what I actually think about things in social media, not in a disingenuous way, but if it's not something entirely constructive, I may leave that alone. I understand. And we'll, so we'll get into more of that when we, when we record our episodes about you and about Acme, but I just wanted to get your, your take, especially since, uh, you know, Menachem, uh, I have to say, I mean, I enjoyed our conversation. He is, he is very passionate. He's very passionate about comics in general, specifically independent comics, about connecting people with the right books. Uh, very generous. Uh, he gave me a book on my way out. He's like, here, you got to read this. Uh, so I really enjoyed our conversation. Again, I think this will be a good contrast with uh, Cave Comics, which, again, more of the traditional old school model, and then a store like Escape Pod that is really trying to do something different and really cater to that independent comic book scene. So here is Escape Pod Comics. The journey continues. Today I am at Escape Pod Comics in Huntington on Long Island, and I'm joined by the store's owner, Menachem Lukens. Hey, welcome. How'd I do on that? That was great. That was perfectly fine. Like I said, the big issue is stumbling over it and trying to recover yourself. <laughs> Just plowed right on through. Yeah, there we go. I've been looking forward to doing this with you because you are, as I've come to learn over the few weeks that we've been interacting on social media, you are quite outspoken. <laughs> I was waiting to see what adjective you chose to use. Outspoken. I think that is accurate. Absolutely. And, um, Much more polite than I deserve. No. So I've been looking forward to getting your take on both your store and the industry in general. But you being outspoken, that's actually what led us to connect in the first place. Yeah. I mean, not counting Rachel Silverstein. Um, as one of your customers who I encountered <laughs> in my in my day job. But 
Uh, I had Mark Hammond from Oh Yeah Comics on the podcast for the season premiere, and he posted about it on Facebook, and you commented. Do you remember exactly what you said? I said along the lines of, oh boy, you wouldn't want me on this thing. <laughs> and that was all I needed to hear. I was like, <laughs> you got to set this up. But uh, both Mark and Jermaine of Acme Comics in North Yeah, that's Carolina, your next stop, right? Actually, yes. Good. Is, I'm just happy that I got you before Jermaine, because he's like such a high level of knowledge that it'll be great following up my podcast to actually have like corrections and <laughs> factual things, not just my opinion. But I couldn't do it after him. He just knows too much. <laughs> well, he, yes, he has been cited by a number of other retailers who I've spoken to this season. But, you know, both Mark and Jermaine gave their their stamp of approval. And that, you know, their recommendations really do carry a lot of weight. So when I when they were like, you got to have you got to have Minhakam on, I was like, all right, let's do it. And I and I I am astounded. Um, I respect both those men very much. Um, they have, actually have shops that are really nothing like I want my shop. Mark is always in that flow right now, especially in the new Oya, trying to really create his own vision, more so than than when he was managing places. But, and Jermaine, I mean, he has an amazing local comic shop business and he knows a lot, but neither of them are what I put up as like the pinnacle of where I want to be and what I want the shop to be. But I have so much respect for them as retailers that to hear that they even <laughs> even consider me like anywhere near someone to listen to is a little frightening. It's something that I've come across in the last year. I've had retailers be like, oh, well, yeah, well, I do that. I pay attention to this when you say it. And I do that. I'm like, you listen to me? That's um, okay. That's your choice, I guess. <laughs> well, I love that you're doing something different. And we'll get into what, what you are doing that's different. But that's really why you're here. I mean, if you were, if your store was just trying to be like one of those other ones, there probably wouldn't have been a spot you know, on the podcast this season. I'm trying oh, to you know, find yeah. stores that are doing different things. So I think that's awesome. Well, I thought you meant why I'm here, like why the store exists, because that's also true. If I had wanted to make a standard comic shop, first off, it wouldn't be in Huntington. And secondly, I wouldn't have driven me as much as, as this does. I feel a degree of kinship with you, because when I was going through uh, my research for today, I came across an interview you did and you said that comics and comic shops have always been a part of your life in some capacity. Quote, even if that capacity was an absence. And that struck a chord with me. It really resonated because both this podcast and your store were born out of closings of comic shops yes. to at least some extent. So for Absolutely. me, it was Alternate Realities, the store where I worked for many years and it closed a couple of years ago. And that's what sparked this podcast and everything that's to come. And for you, I know the store was Rocket Ship Comics. Yeah, Rocket Ship in uh, in Park Slope in yeah. Brooklyn. Would you mind talking a little bit about how that led to what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean to to get to the Rocket. I mean, you read the interview, but we'll pretend that you haven't for your audience's sake. To get to Rocket Ship, you have to go a whole bunch of steps. Basic point was at around 16 when I was taking. I was in dorming in an upstate New York school. I was taking the local bus, which you can imagine is not a very good bus out to the mall to go to Garib Seamus's original Wizard World location. Oh, wow. The Nanuet Mall. And they literally did nothing to try to keep me into comics at that store. At 16, I was, I was burnt out. Superman was blue. He was about to become red. And I was like, what am I reading? What, what am I looking at here? Uh, two or three years beforehand, I had read probably half of Sandman, uh, Blown Away. And I just, I didn't even know how to approach these guys who were busy hustling magic cards and uh, talking about grading comics, which in those days was not a business unto itself. 
was something that comic shops did. Uh, I just stopped, just stopped doing it. Um, now, this is where the great story, Cosmic Comics in Manhattan on 23rd Street. So that was my brother's store. That was where he went when he was in college. And uh, a couple years later, I went in there. I said to a guy in there, because my brother was in, I followed him. I go, well, I really like Sandman. Do you have anything like that? Now, keep in mind, this is 2000, 2000. There's Promethea. There's, there's everything from ABC. There's tons of Vertigo stuff I was even only vaguely aware of. And he goes, oh, you're one of those. And I'm like, what? He goes, Neil Gaiman, huh? That's all you want. And I guess uh, uh, I was like, Neil Gaiman's over there. And that's a huge part of where this comic well, shop comes from. Why you do what you from. do, yep. Flash forward uh, about five years later. So that was my early 20s. My mid-20s, um, my wife and I are reading Why the Last Man out of the library when the volumes are coming out, when the trades are coming out. And she finishes up volume three. And she goes, well, uh, where's more? So we were actually living where I had dormed. Um, Wizard World had since closed. Um, but the, old, the first comic shop I'd went there, which used to be a bookstore, still existed. We went and started a subscription for Y. Got into Runaways then. And I realized that I cannot stand the people who work there. They were... I, I, I don't even... They were just so disinterested... In me as a customer. Wait, and this is in the Nanuet Rock. This is in the Nanuet Rock. I like here. how you describe that as upstate. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm a city person. <laughs> I was just talking to someone who told me they moved upstate, and I'm like, do you mean upstate like a city people mean upstate? Like like Woodridge and, you know, like the Catskills? Or do you mean like really upstate? He goes, no, no, like near near uh, Ithaca. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you mean really yeah, upstate. To me, that's, that's upstate. Right. Well, okay. I'm, I know, I know. <laughs> the hard part is if I say I was in like Rockland Nanuet, people go, what, what is that? What's that even called? And I'm like, it's called Rockland. It's off the highway. <laughs> you know, there's really nothing else to describe it. Anyway, so I started going to that store and they just, they really just, it was exactly like that guy before. They understood what we liked. They stocked what we liked. But they didn't give a good goddamn about getting us to read the comics. Yeah, that's a shame. And and I was there for 25 minutes every every month because my wife would read the new issue of Why standing in the store. She like she had to. She needed to read it. So we'd be standing there and I'd be going around there and one time I remember these two guys there's a TV behind the counter they're watching. There's uh some talk radio on the on the on the speakers and I'm just sort of standing there looking around waiting for stuff so then they're like it's a sign for something to do with Iron Man. It could have been Orson Scott Carr doing Ultimate Iron Man. I don't know. And I'm like, oh, so what are they doing with Iron Man? And the guy looks at me and goes, well, have you been reading Iron Man? I'm like, no, that's why I'm asking. He goes, Do you have it? did you read Extremis? And I'm like, no. Was, I can't really answer that. If you, if... I'm like, what the hell, dude? You've got a sign for this that you're trying to sell. And you're not, I'm a customer. I have a hold list. I'm, I'm here. I'm right in front of you. I hear about Rocket Ship, and I'm like, all right, let me let me try that place out. And Alex and Mary just it's very interesting because they Alex is not a customer. He's a vice president at CBLDF right now, Alex oh, okay. Cox. Uh he was not a customer service kind of guy. You know, he's reading a book, there's as an improvement, uh, Radiohead playing on the on the speakers, 
And but it, there's this well laid out shop. And I could be like, oh, I see there's a new Dan Klaus. If I really like him, but not X and Y, what would I go? Uh, well, you'd probably enjoy this book or this creator. And, and at least I could expand. And then Mary was always just looking at my pile going, oh, did you get Scott Pilgrim? And I'm like, what's Scott Pilgrim? This is three volumes into Scott Pilgrim. She goes, oh, well, I, I know what you buy. Grab Scott Pilgrim, puts it on the pile. And boom, there's a... I go back, I read all his stuff. Uh, there's just a feeling there of comics are great. Why don't you read comics? There's, you enjoy them? Yeah. Oh, you like that? Oh, try this. Try yeah, that. You know, I have to say, I know, you know, the, the upstate store that you described, I know atmospheres like that still exist, but I have to say it's been very encouraging, at least all the stores I've spoken to on the podcast, and I, this seems to be a bit of a trend. They are very proactive and, and very much of the mindset that they want to create a different kind of atmosphere. They want to create a place where people do feel welcome, where they can make those personal recommendations and get people excited about books. So, I mean, I, I've been very encouraged, you know, seeing oh, and hearing I, that from the stores that I've been going to. But, it, you know, I mean, it's a shame. It can really be off-putting if you go to a store and you don't get that. The, the, the very depressing part is, is that the stores that are inclusive and are trying their hardest to get new people are also the ones making the most noise and doing that. The fact is, the, the simple fact is, is I've only been in like three comic shops since I've opened this one, but I had similar experiences in most of them on different and differing levels, obviously. But this is st unfortunately still the norm and definitely in the public mindset. Anyway, so back to rocket yeah, ship. Yeah. So, so rocket ship then closes. So I went to a second store, um, Fourth World Comics, which is out in Smithtown, and they got my hold list right. I'm I'm dropping fifty or sixty bucks on the books I'm subscribed to, trying out a few new things, and then going to the library and getting stuff six months old. And then I fell into an incredibly dark depression while teaching English and realizing that it was not fulfilling in any way to what I wanted to do. And at the same time, I decided to reread Cerebus with all the back matter. And the back matter of Cerebus is a uh, manifesto by the founders of Page 45 in Nottingham, England. Basically, the guys who did Page 45 were the indie buyers for Forbidden Planet. If they're going to make a comic shop, we're going to do it like this. And they make this manifesto. And I'm reading this manifesto, literally, like, not able to get out of bed to go to work. And I'm going, this is what I want to do. This, this is what comics are. Comics are a medium that can do any single thing. And I want to showcase that. And I want to do it. And here we are, six years later. Uh... It's not as easy as I thought, <laughs> but it's still what I'm trying to do on a level. Well, I know on your Facebook bio, you describe yourself as comic shop owner by day, comic shop owner by night. And I know it's a 24-7 <laughs> grind, but so, you know, you're, the store you, you liked and had been going to closed, you had had enough of the path you were on as a teacher. Right. You weren't finding what you were looking for in these other stores. And so you opened Escape Pod. And now the name Escape Pod, a nod to Rocket Ship? To Rocket Ship, yes. That's very yes. cool. Yeah. Um, I really feel like Rocket Ship got it right. Uh, it's, it's not the standard I necessarily hold myself to now, knowing the realities of both the current market and where I am. But it's still the model. Well, let's talk about what you do here, because I know that Escape Pod was founded on the notion that comics are, are for everyone and with the mission to match the person with the right comic. Yeah. Right. And that there's a comic book for everyone that's out there. Yeah. So um, I always like to point out that we stole that 
tagline from uh, Friends of Lulu, uh, which was a feminist comic organization in the 90s that actually just pretty much fell apart right as we opened. So I felt less and less guilty as they stopped publishing anything on their website. I went, oh, okay, so no one's really going to mind that I stole this tagline. And actually, <laughs> you know, before, I mean, I want to I hear more about your ideology yeah. and all of that, but just to kind of paint the picture for our listeners. Oh, sure. Escape Pod more than lives up to the name comic book store in a very literal sense. I mean, there are very few, if any, statues, toys, gaming. Yeah. There's not a single Funko Pop that I found, at least. We do carry Funko's blind boxes okay. and have some leftover like Dorbs on the 50% off. But uh, I actually sent Jermaine all my Funko Pops at a loss this January because okay. they are like tribbles. They just keep keep multiplying and you can't. That, the store that I mentioned before, uh, Fourth World in Smithtown, when I was going there, they didn't have any pops. They now have an entire back wall, almost room of pops. If you want to do pop business, you've got to give it a lot of room. So that's this very, I, I mean, to, I don't, I would actually much rather hear you paint the picture than myself because I've done it a zillion times. <laughs> so please go on. No, I mean, I would just say that the store is very squarely focused on comics and books, more reminiscent to me, at least, of a more, more of an independent bookstore than what you might think of when you think of a traditional comic book shop. And we, yeah, we definitely get that a lot. Um, and the, the ideology and the idea that comics are for everyone is not that everyone will like every comic. Right, right. It's very much the fact that the medium encompasses pretty much anything you can imagine. I am in no way knowledgeable about the full length and breadth of what is out there in comics. But quite frankly, just what we carry is ridiculous um, would it be fair to say that superhero comics are in the minority of what you stock here see it, it would be nice if the picture i paint with the store was the reality but there is still a large amount of superhero books coming in every week and going right out gotcha okay uh, there's a lot of superhero books moving marvel's still one of my major sellers um just in holdless people and people randomly picking stuff up but definitely it is not advertised in the store anywhere within the level that most stores do. Uh, I don't feel they need it. I don't think I need to help anyone be convinced that they want to read Spider-Man or Batman. Uh, in fact, it's much easier when they come in and go, what do you have with Spider-Man? Because they just saw Homecoming. And I go, well, is it for an adult or a child? It's interesting because I came across uh, something you said in one of your interviews, I think, or maybe it was on Twitter. I, I can't keep it. I keep say it a lot of things a lot of places, so it's fair. But the idea was, you know, I think the question was about getting people interested in comics after they've seen one of these superhero movies. And the point you made was, you know, there there likely is a comic for that person, but it might not be the source uh, material. Yes. So if someone comes in and they've just seen Spider-Man Homecoming, maybe you give them the new Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man, but maybe you don't. Right. And it, it depends who it's for. It depends what they liked about the movie. Uh, quite frankly, the best superhero comic in racking my brain after making that tweet, waiting for people to come at me, uh, that I could find that still fits the traditional superhero model would be Invincible. Sure, yeah, I yeah. mean, Invincible is a lot more like that Spider-Man Homecoming film than most any Spider-Man book you're going to find as part of the ongoing universe, at right, least. Right, right. Because it's dorky teen uh, aspiring to be a great hero. It's not Spider-Man. The, the obsession we have as a culture with uh, simplifying and parring everything down to a black and white. So if I want a Spider-Man comic, I want a Spider-Man comic. No, but if you want if you want Homecoming, you really don't want a Spider-Man comic. 
there, I mean, I can think of Bendis's early Ultimate. Yeah, that's what I was. That. I mean, that, yeah. But in Bendis's early Ultimate, there's almost no superheroes that he's trying to copy. Right. So, like, I guess one of my questions, as far as your process goes in terms of making these recommendations. So, if someone comes in hot off of Spider-Man: Homecoming and they're right. like, "I really was into the high school stuff," if if you're torment like Ultimate okay. versus Invincible, would you rather steer them toward Invincible to kind well, of broaden I, their horizon or or something right. else? Yeah. You know, well, it's just it's it's very difficult. Um, I hate doing this as a as a what if because every single person is different. True. But if they're open to talking, I always go with, well, what kind of stories do you like? And I often get, oh, Watchmen. I'm like, no, no, don't think about comic books. Don't <laughs> don't tell me about comic books. What are your favorite TV shows? What are your favorite novels? What do you enjoy? And sometimes they'll be like, I just look man, I just want Spider Man, and so I'll get them Spider Man. But if they're open to it, that conversation can lead to them buying. Uh, Mama Cass's autobiography that just came out in English. Uh, th- these things, people aren't thinking that there's all this stuff out in comics. Right. And that's what that's literally all we're here for, is to put that in front of them and let them be aware that if you have interests of any type, there are comics on that. Yeah, you know, not too long ago, you used the word medium to describe yes. comic books. And that's what they are. And I, I came across a statement you made that echoes an argument I've been making for years, which is that comics are a medium, just like movies, just like Oh, television. yeah, the French call it the ninth art. Right. So if someone says, I don't like comics, that to me is like someone saying, I don't like music. Or I don't like television. It's like it's it's possible, but more than more likely. You're than talking not. to someone who doesn't like music or television. So that's perfect. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I don't dislike them. Fair enough. But, but I don't have like a intense right. attraction to them. Oh, 100. And, and it's if we're getting into it for the purposes of your podcast, it is solely at the feet of the retailers that that is still the case. And it's, you, I mean, this is where I get angry. The reason that the American popular culture can't wrap their head around what comic books are is that the stores that are literally holding comics back in a stranglehold for the direct market are pushing that comic books are superheroes and weird science fiction cool stuff like Saga. That it, They want people reading that stuff. They want people buying single issues and moving forward or collecting they want them in ongoing stuff they want to catch this person they want to get them caught in the in the roach motel that is their store and they're there for life of course that's the model that's dying that's that's not how things work nowadays if i want to be, if i want to read everything that dc and marvel's putting out the day it comes out i can give you six websites it's it's not necessary so you could get someone into this stuff or you could have a kid walk in who's watched Flash and therefore read the Wikipedia page and gone through every single link to the Speed Force, to the Mark Wade run when he invented it, to the crisis, and know everything, having never read a comic book. I have kids coming in here talking about the Speed Force. Drop in knowledge. I mean, I'm like, if you say so, sure. And Max Mercury, but they've never had an issue of impulse. And there's no judgment on them. But I'm not necessarily going to steer them towards the Flash because that'll, that'll keep them for a year or two, maybe. Whereas if they have an obsessive interest in esoterica, there's a lot more fun stuff to read. Um, there's that outspokenness we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like I've been, I've been holding back a little bit, so I was going to let loose. Um, going back to my very strong statement, when, a comic sh- when you walk into a comic shop and the what back wall is filled with pops and the side wall is filled with rebirth trades and the other side is filled with Marvel Essentials, which are what the movies have been made from, 
and everything else is toys and just randomness, what are you going to think a comic book is? You know, what, what, what is there? There's superheroes, there's merchandise, and there's, yeah, there's some weird stuff that some people put out. It's not, and it's, it's not anyone's fault. That stuff sells. It moves. So you can't blame someone uh, for wanting to showcase the stuff that they can move the most, but you can blame them for showcasing stuff that, like I said, doesn't need it. It's interesting. I mean, sort of a chicken or the egg question. It's like, do stores present themselves that way because that's what people want? Or do people want those things because that's what's presented yeah, to I, them? Yeah, I don't, I'm not saying that, that, uh, that Glenn in Fourth World wakes up in the morning and he goes, man, we got to add more toys to this section over here because it's looking bare. Should I add comics? No, I'm not going to do that. He, no, he has a spreadsheet and he knows what sells and what doesn't and what moves and what doesn't. And I'll be honest, Fourth World has an amazing selection of comic books. They don't have an amazing selection of graphic novels. Uh, I haven't been there in years, but my understanding is their trades have grown immensely as more and more series come out on time and in trades. But it's not about what you stock. It's about what you showcase. I understand, yeah. There's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a fact that you can, you can be a store that's six issues deep on every Marvel and DC title. They don't need center stage. They just need to be somewhere where someone who's looking for them can find them. And it's really difficult talking, let's say, to someone like Mark, who's really trying to turn Aya into a different kind of store than any he's ever worked at while feeling out what the community wants and have him go, but how do I know? It's a shot in the dark, but it's really about what you're willing to do. It's, it's not necessarily what you actually do as much as the effort you're putting into it. And retailers put a lot of effort into a lot of things. Yeah, and I mean, kind of on that note, because I was thinking about this in advance of today, because again, I know what you do and this mission that you've been furthering here with your store, you know, it can be hard enough for a retailer to gauge how many copies of Batman they're going to sell. Like how many people are, if there's a new creative team, for right, example, right, right. like how many people are going to drop it or add it. It's hard enough for them to figure out how many copies of that to order. So with something like an independent where it's so much more an unknown quantity, it's like, what is the appropriate way to promote that while still doing it in a way that's financially responsible for your store. So the first thing for that is something that I, I preach this to retailers like crazy. It's you should have multiple means of distribution. You should be able to get books directly from the publisher or from really large international national booksellers beyond Diamond. Diamond is the best deal you're going to get on single issues. They beat Bakers and Taylor who carry three lot three publishers so that diamond doesn't have a monopoly um, but on pretty much everything there are better ways to get them random house has dc dark horse and idw the only difference is they're not direct market publishers so they therefore get them two weeks later but that means if you're going to reorder that stuff 50 percent direct ship any size order why would i reorder something from diamond at 45 percent where i pay the freight so that's, that's something you've got to get yourself out of a hole that we all think we must be in. You have to use Diamond. And I've actually in four years really turned around on Diamond. They do a great job for what they do. You know, retailers will talk about the, sh the damages and the damages of the damages. They're shipping millions of books a week. Millions of floppy, single issue. I mean, we're talking about, I have stores complaining that the five copies of some variant they got all came damaged. And I'm like, 
That's five copies out of a stack of 4,000 that were put in at the end of the shipping at a gigantic warehouse where they're moving millions of books that day. We're a really small store. I am very, (laughs) um, a comic creator once said to me when I tried to explain how small the store is and that our customer base is about regular wise, we've got 100 people on the subscription list because he was trying to get people to subscribe to a book. He goes, whoa, you cast a very large shadow on the internet. (laughs) <laughs> like we, we look like this humongous store with this humongous amount of clientele. And a big part of that is because of the diversity of what we carry and the diversity of people we have who come and do signings. Right. I mean, you're clearly very passionate about all of this and that, that comes through, you know, loud and clear. And it's, um, it, I guess what's interesting to me is, you know, hearing you talk about comics as an art form and, and they are, but I feel like some, this tension exists because they're an art form, but they're also commodities. And I'm just thinking about other retailers and how, or why maybe they might be reluctant to pursue independence to the extent that you have. And, you know, I'm thinking about limited and valuable real estate in a store, the time and resources to, again, set up these other networks of distribution to research these titles. Uh, I mean, all of that. So I guess I just, I don't know. I feel like it would be a, a difficult proposition for stores especially when superhero books have been their bread and butter for so long. I, I agree. And and there is absolutely nothing I can say that will change the minds of certain people. Now, everyone doesn't have to do what I do. They can't follow every single book and they can't look at it, but you got to take some effort. It's funny. Some of what you're saying is, is uh, running counter to what I've learned uh, in my travels to some of these other stores. I mean, most specifically... Uh, there was an episode that came out earlier in the season with Zap Comics, and we had a, a really great chat about product diversification and going back to what you were saying before about like not leaning into you know the pops or things like that, but really fo- keeping the focus on the books. Again, does run, run counter to this product diversification. Oh, thing. absolutely. And the the problem with that is, is that I can, like I said, I can't argue against these people. They're running successful businesses. They're really not doing anything for comics. So that, okay, that gets at the heart of, of, <laughs> I, of, you know, what I wanted to talk about with you. Again, this tension between promoting comics as an art form and getting more people into more kinds of books and then the financial economic side of the industry. So, you know, as you're talking about what you're doing, I mean, I think it's an incredibly noble effort. I suppose the question I have is, have you, I mean, I, I know the store is still here, so that, that right. says something, but... There was an interview I came across where you mentioned, you know, struggling to pay bills and not being able to pay yourself. I mean, is that a situation that has improved? It's improved significantly, but it's still pretty much the same place. Because the simple fact is, is that if I was doing this for a paycheck, I'd be doing it very differently. That's why I constantly tell other retailers not to be me. Don't, Don't do what I'm doing. Look at some of the things I'm doing that you think you may want to do in your store and maybe do them. But I'm not in this to make money. Straight up. And I'm probably the only person you're going to get on the podcast saying that. You are not the only person who is kind of in the position of, for example, not maybe not drawing a salary. Right. But no, no, the, obviously the goal for the is others to is make, to make, do that. No, the goal for me is to make enough money that I can do this um, sustainably, which would mean giving myself a real salary rather than, oh, crap, my gas bills do. I guess I have to take a little bit of salary out of the store. Um, so clearly um, we're all struggling. But my, I'm playing a long game. My goal is and has become, and after four years, I feel even more confident saying it, creating a market that doesn't even know it's a market. The people who I have coming in here getting comic books are constantly astounded 
that they're coming here and getting comic books regularly because they love them and they never knew it. And so, yeah, I'm currently not pulling in any kind of money. Uh, I'm just staying ahead of everything. In fact, falling behind on quite a bit of it financially. But the people who I'm getting here are not going to leave when Tom King leaves Batman. I have people who move to Brooklyn within blocks of great stores that have me mail them their stuff. I have people in Georgia and California who have me mail them that stuff. Uh, I have one customer in Milwaukee. She has a hold list and then goes, all right, what else would I like? I give her a list. She looks it up online. She picks three or four things. Not because she's supporting my business or she loves my vision, but because Amazon's not going to do that for you. And I mean, sticking on the business side, I do see the value, you know, for you or for other stores in turning your existing superhero fans onto these other kinds of books or nurturing new customers and getting them into these books. Like, I mean, I think there is tremendous value in that for for stores. Um, I do think for another retailer listening to the, it would be a tough sell. Oh, absolutely. And like I said, in light of what you've just said, the sense that I'm getting is that and I don't want to, you know, no, I, I don't no, know what's no. in your head, but I get the sense that maybe, you know, you see this as, as a, yours as a higher calling. I have people left and right go, you can't get any of this stuff anywhere. And I'm oh, like, like what? I, I always ask, oh, like what? And they'll pick up something that's in the goddamn diamond catalog in the first front of the book. It's, it's one of the major five publishers. It's an IDW or a Dark Horse book. Yeah. I mean, just so listeners are clear, you know, we've been talking about independent books, but we're not. I mean, yes, you have, you know, Saga and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. But we really, I mean, it's it's such a wide breadth of books that you carry here. And it goes very deep. I mean, the, the selection is very deep. Well, right. And that's, and that's exactly the point. Because I have loads of occasional customers who will come in and go, do you have Saga Volume 4? That's what I'm up to. And I'll look, oh, we're just out of that. Well, what else should I get? And they'll try something new. And they'll try something different. Yeah, that's one thing I was curious about. So what are the reactions that you get from people who come into the store, either the traditional superhero fan or the person who, you know, just happens to be walking by? I mean, are people receptive to your recommendations and these different books that are out there? What sort of responses do you get from the public? A lot of it has to do with personality, obviously. Different people, different ways. Um, People who, what I call Wednesday warriors, (laughs) overall do not enjoy the store. They are upset that they are not six months back on floppies. They, uh, they find the layout to be almost, I've, I've, I've heard someone told me this, insulting. How so? That I'm putting all this weirdo stuff on display and they can't find what they're looking for. And I try not to generalize, but I find that that is an incredibly entitled marketplace. They expect things to be a certain way. They expect those things to be important to me. And they expect my attention above everyone else's because they're the real customer. And not overall, it's not every single person. I have a large number of Wednesday people who would never get in front of anyone else. But I have a lot of walk-ins who talk about the new books or this or that, spend 10 minutes with me, and then I go help some little kid. Or then I go help some middle-aged woman who doesn't know what she's looking for, and they get insulted. Because they're not real comic fans. They're not the market. And again, I'll say... You're one of the 90,000, buddy. Good for you. I'm very happy. I'm going to help this person, and they're going to come back and get every comic they ever get from me. I, you know, as we wind down here, you know, you mentioned, you know, people think you're irrational. I, I certainly don't, I don't feel that way. I don't get the sense you're irrational. I admire how principled you are 
in the furthering of your mission here. I do. I guess it's just this idea of like that you're not in this to make money. It's like why? I mean, and I don't know what your personal situation is, but like why wouldn't you be? And if there's more of a balance that you could strike with your store where you could still pursue what you're doing while also making this but more what am viable I doing? for yourself. But that's the question is what am I doing? You're saying pursue it. If I'm pursuing what I'm doing, I can make it. You're, uh, listen, I could, there are about 10 things I could do to make this store more viable while staying within my principles. I just can't afford to do them. Oh, okay. I could, oh, I right. could get an MOBY system and track every single book that comes in and out of this place using ISBN. It's a $2,000 system. Yeah. I don't have the money for it. Okay. Oh, all right. That's fine. And, and once I have everything tracked like that, it reorders and it reorders from multiple distributors. I can have it all set. I can bring in more money. I just suck at organizational stuff. This store could be making a lot of money if I was a better businessman without any change to my principles. I just suck it as a businessman. That's really what it is. But we have a more diverse line than what mo most stores you've been to. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm building, I'm building again. I still view my first, it's for my first 10 years. I'm building a base of people who view this as somewhere to go and find something, anything. One thing that I, I, I would like to yeah, add sure. in here is there's a huge mistake when people hear me talk like this and, and get worked up. They think I don't want to make money. They, uh, they think that like the comic creators who go, I'm not in comics to make money. I'm in comics to create art. That I'm one of those. It, it's not true. There's plenty of stuff I carry here that I'm not thrilled with. And I've tried a lot of things. Like I said, January, Jermaine got all our pops. We did carry pops for three years. I definitely want to make money, but... I feel like making money, and maybe it's my Orthodox Jewish upbringing, but making money in a way that I feel is dishonest to everything that comics offers is not helpful to me in the long run and to the reader. So that's sort of like what sums up everything about me. Uh, I'm much more interested in creating comic readers than in pushing product. Well, you know, thank you again for being oh. part of, of my comic shop oh. history. I, I hope I'm the real outlier episode and everyone else <laughs> is doing financially amazingly and has their business plans worked out perfectly. I really want shops to do well. I just want comics to do well, too. All right. That was Escape Pod Comics. I hope you enjoyed. You know, I love the name Escape Pod Comics. I, I like the little uh, uh, icon that is uh, associated with the uh, store. It's just a neat name. Escape Pod Comics. You know, you, you begin to think of, you begin to think of a uh, something escaping from a, you know, maybe escaping from the Empire. Maybe it's escaping from a, uh, you know, exploding ship or comics industry, and it's carrying these like vital, like you know, independent comics. You know, are being preserved in this place somehow. Yes, it is an exciting name, for sure. So, uh, all right. Well, again, thank you so much for being here to uh, help me announce the launch of the My Comic Shop Country Kickstarter campaign. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming so very far. It is my pleasure. I, I could not be happier to be here. So, again, uh, I'm going to be recording a two-part crossover with you. <laughs> so, uh, for listeners who want to hear more about you and more about Acme, they should tune in next week to My Comic Shop History, and then the following week to Flat Squirrel Tales Beyond My Comic Shop. We're going to be we're going to be speaking on on both of those episodes. Uh, today, actually, there's also another episode that listeners can tune into. There's a brand new episode of Flat Squirrel Tales featuring Brandon Montclair. Brandon was my boss at Alternate Realities for a little bit uh, when I first started working there in high school. Uh, of course, he's gone on to do great things in the 
comic book industry. He's the uh, co-creator and writer of Rocket Girl, and he also writes Moon Girl and Double Dinosaur for Marvel, which is super popular and a lot of fun. Um, so that episode is out right now. And of course, the Kickstarter campaign is live. There are a ton of great rewards to choose from. Uh, so if you're listening to this, if you've been following the podcast, if you've watched my previous films, uh, most of all, I really appreciate all of the support. I hope you've enjoyed uh, what you've watched and what you've listened to. Uh, and I hope that you'll help me be able to make my comic shop country. Uh, so thank you to everyone. Thank you again to Jermaine. And we'll see you back here next week. Don't be a flat squirrel. <laughs>